I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Gordon Lawson, CEO at Conceal, provider of an intelligence-grade zero-trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more about our sponsor, Conceal, visit conceal.io. Also joining us is Neil Pollard, a partner in the cybersecurity practice at EY, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and an adjunct professor at Columbia University and Georgetown University. Gordon, welcome. Great to have you back with us. Thank you, Steve. Great to be here. Neil, thank you for joining. My pleasure. Thank you. So, Neil, I introduce a lot of people. Uh, you know, you're one of the more experienced people we've had on the podcast. So rather than me trying to give people the 30,000 foot view, I think it's better if you do that. Thank you for having me here. Uh, my name is Neil Pollard, and the 30,000-foot view is I've worked cybersecurity at just about every level. You can work at technical, legal, strategy, policy, operations, in academia, government, and the private sector. I'm a consultant right now. I'm a partner at EY. Before that, I was the Global Chief Information Security Officer at UBS. been in the private sector for about 10 years. Before that, I worked uh, as an intelligence officer for the U.S. government. So, Gordon, you bring on the best guests, uh, you know, so I have to ask you each time, you know, how do you know these people? How did you meet Neil? Yeah, uh, Neil was just through some uh, some mutual connections. And um, as you know, Steve, we, we, we do uh, a lot of work with uh, folks that have been in national security uh, like Neil. So really just, uh, I think, some serendipity and uh, just an honor for him to uh, be counted as an advisor to the company. So, Neil, to help set the stage here for our conversation, uh, maybe give us just the big picture first. Uh, how does geopolitics impact the cyber threat landscape? And then we'll drill down and ask uh, you and Gordon some, some specific questions. There are a couple ways. One's the pretty obvious one, which is what we've seen recently with concerns when Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, there's been talk for a long time now, going back to the 90s, about cyber being you know, another uh, battle space, if you will. Um, and then certainly uh, with the most recent uh, conflict, as I said, with Russia and the Ukraine, uh, there's been concern that like the last time there was uh, Russian military activity against the Ukraine, that there would be cyber attacks. There was the NotPetya ransomware that was one of the most expensive um, uh, cyber incidents in the world, affected all sorts of industries, locked down companies across the world, billions and billions of dollars of the damage. There was concern this time that that's exactly what would happen. There's an expectation that as countries go to war, uh, that cyber will be part of that conflict, part of the, you know, one of the tools. There are other areas too. When you look at, uh, it's not just uh, geopolitics and political violence, geopolitics and trade and economy. Uh, the World Economic Forum estimates that 60% of economic growth is being driven by digitization, which is basically you know, the conversion of products and services into data or data flows um, and transmitting and transacting connected to the internet. Okay, well, the danger to that is a danger to a great deal of geopolitical and economic and trade growth, and that's cybersecurity. Yeah, well, if cybercrime was an economy, uh, it would be the world's third largest behind uh, you know, the U.S. and China, and we've talked to the World Economic Forum about that. Uh, Gordon, let me turn to you. Russia, uh, you know, since since Russia invaded Ukraine, we, we've witnessed DDoS attacks, much more malware, uh, phishing attacks, disinformation campaigns, cyber attacks on physical systems, uh, you know, electric uh, and utilities, hospitals. Uh, to be clear, these attacks are not just on Ukraine. 
So what are your thoughts on general, and do you think the intensity of what we're seeing is going to sustain as long as uh, you know the war against Ukraine is going on? Well, I think it's going to continue to go on, Steve, beyond the war in Ukraine. I think what we're seeing here is uh, Russia has not executed well on the battlefield. Uh, you know, as we record this today, we're seeing uh, a couple of miss- missiles landed in Poland. Uh, hopefully that was an accident because of kind of Russian incompetence there. But um, they have not performed well in the in the kinetic war. And between the FSB and GRU, what they can do on the cyber realm really, I think, extends their capabilities and, and incites fear into not just um, Ukraine, but also other NATO countries like, uh, you know, Montenegro, Albania has has suffered as well from these pretty catastrophic attacks. So it's not going away. It's going to continue to get, uh, I think, more intense. And I think the vectors are going to get more and more sophisticated as well. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, it's a concern and, and countries across the spectrum and organizations, private companies within those countries who are in the crosshairs need to continue to make their defenses more robust. So Neil, you, you were a CISO. I'm sure you talked to a lot of CISOs. Do you think that CISOs in general are as aware of the heightened cyber threat uh, as they should be. And I'm not just talking about Fortune 500 and Global 2000 CISOs. When you get into you know, much larger enterprises, uh, you would expect, expect much more of them. Uh, but we have a lot of uh, organizations at risk in our country uh, that would be defined as mid-market and then, of course, smaller companies where they don't have those resources. Yeah, and there are some examples of just those types of companies that have been targeted, you know, not the large banks, but the mid-market infrastructure providers, oil and gas providers, for example. Um, it's getting better. Uh, it, is, it is good. It can always get better. But I do think that you've seen, we've seen a lot of progress over 20 years of, you know, concerted effort of public-private information sharing with the, uh, you know, starting back in the late 90s with the information sharing analysis centers, FSISAC, healthcare ISAC, so forth and so on, uh, with the creation of cyber threat intelligence as a discipline that especially some of the larger corporate programs, you know, um, larger corporate programs have cyber threat intelligence programs so that, uh, your cyber controls and your cyber defenses and your engineers understand that you know you're not you're not fighting robots. You're fighting criminals. You're fighting human beings behind keyboards, and that should uh, help you inform your defenses. And they do share well. The larger companies, um, and larger uh, larger players in the industry, share well with their industry small and medium colleagues. But I think we've seen, uh, I would say, a spike in awareness, uh, in understanding of the threat and how the threat connects to me as an average CISO with this latest uh, conflict. Because, um, and I have to really give kudos where where it's deserved with uh, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity and Information Security Agency, CISA, led by Jen Easterly, where she issued something that was well received and very very well known in industry called Shields Up. Taking the Star Trek uh, or the or the Star Wars, whatever science fiction metaphor you want, it was it was a great concept, simple, where it was an issuance to companies uh, worldwide, really, but certainly U.S. companies. Because of this conflict, we anticipate a change in threat. Because of the change in threat, these are the steps that your security program needs to take: multi-factor authentication, encryption, very technically uh, oriented but useful guidance in response to a cyber threat. 
And then she escalated the awareness of that by writing a letter to the National Association of Corporate Directors and, and probably the Corporate Executive Board, where she explained to them what their perspective should be, made them aware, and and you know conveyed to them um, what they should be thinking through the questions they should be asking at the most senior ranks of the corporation. So to answer your question, yes, I think awareness of threat has not only gotten better, it's gotten better at much more senior levels, well beyond the CISO. Well, I concur with you about Jen. In fact, uh, we named her the Cybersecurity Person of the Year in 2021. She came on the podcast, fantastic, uh, and she's doing an awful lot for our country, and we appreciate that. So, Gordon, let me uh, ask you this. If the awareness is there, is the strategy shifting? You and I have known each other for a few years now, Gordon, and so uh, you've been talking to CISOs uh, at large enterprises before Conceal, now at Conceal. What are you hearing, uh, and how how is the strategy shifting, if it is? I think, as Neil said, there's definitely awareness across the spectrum. I, I think this goes back, continues to go back to resourcing, uh, Steve. And, you know, at top tier companies where Neil came from at EBS, you know, there's a very robust cybersecurity budget. Uh, if you're a 100-person oil and gas company or shale company in, in, in the Midwest, maybe not so much, but you're still a target. If you're a school district in Texas, and one of those uh, was just in the news this week as well, where ransomware is taking down the school district and what they're doing is mining those, those clean social security numbers for criminal activity, you don't have the budgets. So I think as a, as a community, we need to continue to get more efficient to offer better value to those, those smaller organizations and really give them capabilities where they can withstand these nation states slash criminal gang level attacks against the most common vectors. Um, so it's, uh, it is getting, I, I agree, it is getting better, but we need to be, continue to be you know, very vigilant about, about how severe this threat is. So Neil, you, you mentioned the World Economic Forum, you mentioned CISA, uh, you know, th- those are resources that I think most CISOs are aware of. I want to ask you about the Council on Foreign Relations, not that people aren't familiar with them, but I think we need to maybe, you know, nudge CISOs more in the direction, you know, of, uh, of the council, learn more about them. So, you know, t- tell us about, you know, exactly what they do and what your involvement is. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm biased because I am a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. I was an international affairs fellow uh, focused on on cyber terrorism, actually, uh, many years ago. But I found it uh, as CISO, as a consultant, as an academic, even in government, to be an extremely valuable resource, mainly because of the people you meet. Uh, we've talked about information sharing. We've talked about collaboration. Uh, Gordon talked about it, too. Uh, that's people talking to people, people who have either a common set of problems or an interesting view that they can add to the conversation. And that's part of what the Council of Foreign Relations is about, is convening people from industry, from academia, and from government. Uh, It was founded in the early 20s, 1920s, uh, in the wake of World War I, when there was concern by industrialists and policymakers in the government that the United States was going to pull out of international relations, pull out of geopolitics, disengage. And this was a means of staying engaged, which I think is absolutely critical when it comes to how geopolitics affects cybersecurity. So the ability to and they have two main offices, one in New York City, which is, you know, an industrial center, financial center of the United States, and the other one in Washington, D.C., which is the political uh, and, and, and government center. And th- they host meetings. Uh, they sponsor task forces. They have their own study center. They publish foreign affairs. Um, and it really helps uh, a CISO understand how is geopolitics going to change my day tomorrow? 
and what do I need to communicate? But it also provides a CISO with a vernacular and tools to execute one of the CISO's most important jobs, which is explaining what this means to people who don't know a lot about cybersecurity, maybe, like the board of directors. You spend enough time, get the tools, get the insights from a place like Council on Foreign Relations. It equips you with a vocabulary, equips you with insights, equips you with analysis that you can explain what this all means and how a war over there actually affects your cybersecurity program to a board of directors or to a senior CEO who might, maybe you actually saw at one of the meetings. So excellent insights for industry and government people alike, Uh, good analysis uh, on nation state and criminal actors and policy and regulatory frameworks, which have obvious uh, impact to a CISO. And then they also have a pretty cool uh, interactive tracker on there that uh, that shows information, both geographical information, but also uh, nuts and bolts data of major cyber conflicts and cyber attacks in the world. So Gordon CISA, who we, who we talked about a little bit, uh, is very big on collaboration at a, at a lot of levels, and they've been doing a great job of trying to knit government and the private sector together. Uh, let's talk about the vendor community, uh, and you know, broadly, if I had to categorize Conceal, your cybersecurity vendor, and, and one of the best out there that we've been following, um, and then Neil representing, uh, for lack of a better description, consulting professional services, uh, you know, advising companies. How important is it for the two of you and companies like yours to collaborate with each other? Well, I, I think that it's it's extremely important. I think the other thing that I think about is as for, for us in the vendor communities, we have to form partnerships with people that have a broad voice, not just in you know, what tool are you going to buy this, this month or this year, but, but what is your overall risk framework? And that's you know, what Neil is doing in, in his role is real, really at a, at a high level, but also implementing, you know, I think, really granular suggestions that improve security posture. The collabor- the, so the collaboration is very important. And I think also vendors, we have to realize no one has, um, you know, I, I know people will argue with me about this, but no one has a solution that solves everything. It, 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 is a, it is a comprehensive strategy. We have to be realistic about that. We have to understand that our customers need a holistic approach and we need to help them find that with the other tools that aren't just the ones that we represent. And I think that that consultative approach, what Neil represents and what he does is it's just super, super important. And we all need to behave more like that. As, as we go to market and, and help our clients. Neil, in previous podcasts, Gordon and I have talked about the uh, labor shortage. Um, it's a big problem, and you know the industry is working very hard to invite as many more people into it as we can. Uh, young people represent uh, a great pipeline for us. Uh, you're an educator. Um, you, you know, you're working with a lot of young people. Are we developing a better pipeline? Are we in a better place now than we were five years ago? Are we graduating more students who, who are capable of companies doing a better job of reaching out to them? I think we're growing the pipeline uh, um, and, and, and uh, the, the, the talent base is expanding which is great. It's not only expanding in terms of numbers and, uh, you know, graduating more and more people from STEM programs, computer engineering programs who have the technical skills we needed. It's widening the skills too. And something I alluded to earlier is one of the key skills of a CISO that's absolutely critical is explaining uh, what they do to non-technical audiences, to board directors and to, and to the C-suite, um, which may not understand what cyber means. And I see programs developing those skills, which are absolutely as critical as as knowing how to engineer a good firewall. Um, so that I think is improving. 
that's the that's the good news. The bad news is the requirement is outpacing the supply of talent. The Securities and Exchange Commission now has a rule floated out that if it if it goes in as is, it'll take effect early next year, uh, requiring disclosures of cyber attacks and stuff like that, which is is expected, but also requiring disclosures of um, the cyber expertise on a board of directors for public companies listed in the United States. New York Department of Financial Services has another rule out. Uh, it's out for comment now requiring that covered entities have cyber expertise on the board or advising the board. These are requirements. Um, so that's at the board level of all public companies. Uh, there are probably more public companies than there are skilled CISOs and engineers who can effectively communicate with the board of directors. Uh, hopefully there's not, but that's an, another example of how the demand is growing, both in volume and in variety of the skills that are needed out there. So the skills are coming through and they're coming through more broadly than they used to, but the, the appetite for it is just, is just crazy. So Neil, before we let you go, I'm going to be selfish. Uh, we have a lot of Fortune 500 CISOs, Global 2000 CISOs uh, who follow us. Uh, I know a lot of them personally. You're out advising them. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of free consulting here. And I know that, you know, we only have so much time. So, you know, if you had to impart, you know, some wisdom, uh, share anything with the people who are listening to us uh, today, uh, what would it be? Um, don't use strange USB sticks you find in the parking lot. <laughs> Nice. Um, you know, use multi-factor authentication. Encrypt anything that's important to you. Don't believe uh, everything on the internet and understand that a lot of what's out there on the internet was put there to hurt you. Okay. Well, we appreciate that. We're not going to, uh, you know, ask you to give it away. Uh, I know you're, you're with EY. They have a fantastic reputation. Uh, before you go, Neil, uh, just one final thing. Tell us about uh, EY's cyber organization. Uh, sure. I mean, uh, so we uh, we provide cybersecurity services across a range of topics from core technical to managed services to risk management to, uh, as I said, providing managed, managed services to um, uh, advising boards and C-suites on the questions they should be asking their cybersecurity program, advising um, all industries at uh, uh, over 120 uh, countries worldwide. It's a great place to work. It's a great culture. Uh, it's very fulfilling. Um, it, it talking to what Gordon uh, was describing, you know, being the, uh, being on the collaboration side, being on the advising side, and then helping them solve problems uh, is just uh, it, it's it's very invigorating because it's a new problem every day. So, Gordon, I think Conceal is the only company, uh, you know, who's begged the question from some CISOs we've talked to, who are you bringing on next? So I don't know if you can, <laughs> you know, let the cat out of the bag or uh, not. We're coming to the end of 2022 here and we've got, you know, a lot of time with you lined up for 2023. There's no way I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, but let's just say, uh, I mean, it's going to be hard to, to top Neil here, but we're, we have some good ones lined up. And I, I think that, you know, once again, I feel so honored, Steve, to have a forum um, that you provide to the community where we can just have really great thought leadership. And, you know, the last one we had, um, I don't, which I'll mention was um, uh, Teresa Payton talking about election security. Mm -hmm. I know everyone was all worked up going to the election and, and look at this where, you know, a, a couple weeks on from the election and no issues. I was like, right. America is resilient mm -hmm. that, you know, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm very optimistic about where we are and we have a lot of challenges out there, but as we continue to bring Great folks on the podcast do do great work out there in the in the field on cyber. Um, we're going to keep getting stronger as a as a community as a nation, and and that's inspiring. So all good. All right, Gordon. Well, we'll look forward to catching up with you uh, again soon. And 
Neil, thank you so much for coming on. I hope we could have you come back on again. Anytime. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Steve. This interview is sponsored by Conceal, provider of an intelligence grade zero trust technology that protects global companies of all sizes from malware and ransomware. To learn more, visit conceal.io. You can keep up with all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com.